Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat teaching by TBA rabbinic intern Nico Losarelli. So now you're part of a covenant. So around this time of year, Elul, we start to do all of our cheshbon nefesh, our spiritual accounting, thinking about teshuva, and start thinking about just how much we are responsible for. And it turns out, um, beyond the day-to-day of life, it's, there's also all these mitzvot, <laughs> as it turns out. Um, and I wanted to talk a bit about like what that means, what it means to be part of this covenant, what it means to agree to this covenant, how can we agree to this covenant. Um, so if I, I would love to get a, a volunteer to maybe read in the English the, uh, the first two verses here on the page from, uh, from our Parsha. Yes, Joey, thank you. I make this covenant with its sanctions, not with you alone, but with those who are standing here with us this day before God and before God, Hashem, and with those who are not with us here this day. Thank you. So that's pretty stunning, right? It makes sense that those who were standing there at that moment would be signing on to the covenant, but even those who aren't there are apparently signing on to the covenant. That is all of us in this room, those who came before us, those who will come after us. Uh, and I'm just curious, I want to hear some reflections on, on that. What, is, what does this mean? How would it work? Um, what are some consequences? Yes, please. It's uh, possible that he's talking about the 40 years of the Midbar. Okay. So that's one thing. All the, uh, all the Jews, the, all the people that died during the 40 years in the desert. Uh-huh. Or it also means the Nishamot. They are the Nishamot that are already born and the Nishamot that are still to come that are not around here now. Right, beautiful. So it's either the, the Midbar, mm-hmm. all the people that lived during the Midbar t- years, mm-hmm. or the Nishamot that are still that are not born yet. Mm, I like that. That's so interesting. I hadn't thought about it just being the, uh, the next generation that's, that's going to come, right, mm-hmm. immediately after with, uh, with Joshua. That's great. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, anybody else? Any reflections? What are the implications of this? Yes, Mike. Yeah, I was thinking also in terms of it applying to those who were not yet born, and that what, is, what it would imply is that that those those who are uh, making the covenant with God are doing it not only on behalf of themselves but on behalf of their descendants. And what would that that would imply besides that they're you know, agents for these unborn children that they're making the covenant for right. is that they would have an obligation then to teach them. To teach them, okay. Otherwise, they, how would they know that they're obligated by the covenant unless, right. unless they were educated in that way? Right, right. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else here? It can also mean that... Um, Thank you. Mm-hmm. Not only with you that I'm doing this breed, um, but... Um, uh, what was the idea that I was going to... To all the generations that come after you. Right. So, yes, please. Um, okay, I don't, I'm not sure if this is out of context, but it's Oh, interesting. Say more. Covenant, yeah. um, applies to non-Jews as well. Right. Mm-hmm. The, 
Jews are there, but but I'm not sure. Is when is this is in, at Mount Sinai, or is this when? What's the context this here? This is this Parsha, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. Right. That's yes. Please, Bob. What I may hear or hear here is community. Mm-hmm. That this is directed to the community. Uh huh. The community who's there, who's all. The community is everyone who participates and contributes and is involved in the present and the future. Mm-hmm. Community is what what it's about. Mm-hmm. Community, future, present, past. Mm-hmm. Continuity. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So um, I think what a couple of us picked up on here is exactly what, what Ibn Ezra says, right? Right here. So um, does anybody want to read the uh, Ibn Ezra for us? That's the next source on the page. Uh, or either in uh, Hebrew or in English. Ve'et asher enenu, im asher enenu, rak yavo acharenu, ve'eno kit'am ha'omdim, kiruchot ha'ba'im ha'yusham. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. And, uh, and in English it's, you know, quoting, and not just, and also with him that is not here with us, but et asher enenu, Right means with him that is not here, but those will come after us, which is sort of what we discussed, right? seems like there are only a couple of possibilities, but that holds some major implications. How can, how can we sign on to something? How can somebody sign on to, let's say, a contract if they're not even there, you know? Um, how, would, how, would you, how would you feel if someone's like, you know what, I signed us up for a, for a, a timeshare. Um, I know you told me not to, but I signed both of our names, right? It's a bit, uh, a bit scary, a bit intimidating. But that's a little bit what we're saying here theologically is that there is a group of Israelites, soon to become Jews, uh, later in history, who signed on to this covenant in this really powerful, earth-shattering moment um, and signed off for us as well. Um, any reactions or reflections to that? How does that land with you? Other people signing, signing in your name, our name. Yeah. We are, the, we are our forebears. I mean, every gener- we we are what our forebears were mm-hmm. and are and developed. We, we're not just isolated. We're not just mm-hmm. dropped out of the sky. We, we have a history. We have what well, we were talking about: history and memory. We uh-huh. have history. We have memory. Mm-hmm. So, in a sense, because because we happen to be sort of knit together in our destinies by sheer dint of being Jews, then. Of course, of course, someone else can sign off for us. Right. Go ahead, please. Thank you, Joy. I think it just strikes me as the counter to, um, like, the gift is being bestowed in perpetuity to to future generations, but Mm -hmm. it's sort of in contrast to death that we saw with Adam, right? Mm -hmm. So death was received, and, you know, by multiple generations, this is sort of the, you know, counterpoint to that mm. so that's interesting so is, is it sort of the idea like death came as a result of the expulsion from gan eden and we because of those actions have inherited that consequence yeah so this is the opposite of inheritance that's really be, that's really fascinating i want to think about that a little There's bit also the yeah fact that whether you like it or not mm-hmm. the brit is kayemet yeah and you have to accept it because i am the lord Right. You accept it or not accept it, mm-hmm. those that were before you and after you, the Brit is uh, not to be discussed. Right. And, and the Brit is so kayamit, by the way, is so binding, you know, everlasting that 
um, when we think of sort of uh, sort of halachic legal rules when it comes to somebody who is a Jew has maybe left the community or even converted to another religion, they still have specific uh, responsibilities as a way to access Jewish community in a very limited way. You know, it's very hard to stop being a Jew. It is so so everlasting that you kind of can't kind of can't get out of it, right? No matter what, um, in many ways. Um, it's a bleak one way. It's a bleak. So what does that mean? So I, that's really interesting. I wanted to get on to get into that. A bleak one way. Yeah, it's me. I'm the Lord. Uh huh. I am the Creator. It's me. It's the way. Whether you accept it or not, it's going to be kaiyam le'olam or le'olamim. Right. Forever. So what's said in the room here is that uh that it's a one-way breed. Uh, you know, it's the moment is I'm God. Here is this agreement. You're going to agree to it. You know, it sounds a little bit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But uh, maybe a covenant. I don't know what the nuances of the word covenant is. Mm-hmm. A breach, but it could imply a promise mm-hmm. rather than an agreement. Right. So covenant. Covenant's an interesting word. Like a breach is an interesting word because in the ancient sort of ancient Near East, uh, covenants were made between kings and their and their subjects essentially. Um, so in a way, the power dynamic is a little bit one way, right? It's uh. That's beautiful. I like that. Um, anybody else? Any other thoughts on, on this? Well, yeah, please. In American, in, you know, contract law, in uh-huh. secular contract law, when you talk about a covenant, usually it's a promise within a contract. Mm-hmm. So it is kind of a one-way thing, the way okay. it's used. Although you have, you have to agree to the overall contract, the covenant is one of the promises you make in the contract. That, that one person makes the covenant. Mm-hmm. Okay. I suppose you could have two people making the covenant, you know, complementary covenants. Mm-hmm. But usually the covenant is, is something that one of the parties says they're going to do. Right. So in other words, um, and correct me if I'm, if I'm sort of like mischaracterizing what you said, the, what comes immediately to mind is a, a lease for an apartment out here, right? You know, you're signing on to an agreement, but there's not a whole lot you can really push back on. You know, you can say, I don't I clarify this clause, clarify this clause, but you can't really say... Get rid of get rid of these clauses. I want to make noise until one in the morning. You know, you can't. No, okay. That that would be what they call an adhesion contract. Okay. Which is what she's implying that what I'm saying that in a contract, one of the elements the elements of the contract are promises, mm-hmm. and and different parties make the. Different promises, right. okay? So one covenant, I I may I promise to keep the clo- the floors clean, mm-hmm. okay? I promise, okay. So the the tenant says I promise to keep you know to to not to hit hammers in the walls, mm-hmm. and then the landlord says, okay, I promise to pay the taxes, mm-hmm. okay? But but the 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 covenant 
is an individual thing that one of the parties uh, a promise that one of the parties make. It's not the overall contract. The, right. the, the contract is if, if you make your covenants and I make my covenants, then we will have a contract and then we'll agree. I'll agree if you make your covenants, I'll agree to make my covenants. Okay. But that's, that, that's, that's also, sort of the way I interpret okay. contracts. Thank you. Yeah. So, I mean, adding to what was just said, the covenant's one way, but it has sanctions. Mm -hmm. Right. Great. When you sign that lease, uh -huh. there is a precedent. Right. You're supposed to pay the one month security and mm -hmm. one, month, one month's deposit for the first month. Mm -hmm. So there is a precedent. If you don't follow up every month mm -hmm. on paying that, uh, that rent, that amount, I mean, the landlord has that the precedent of the couple of months before mm -hmm. and the one month security deposit. Yeah. That's a precedent. And when there is a precedent, you have to follow on it. Right. Right. I like I like this idea of precedent because it's almost like uh, these leases have existed, right? Right. They they exist. This is how we write this kind of contract. You know, I don't know a lot about contract law, so if I'm using the wrong terms, I apologize. But, um, you know, so it's like this is this is how how apartment contracts or how apartment leases are made. This is how they're written. It's kind of a boilerplate. It's standard. And I guess we could sort of say that too for the breed, right? Like this is just what we've been doing for so long. We kind of just agree into it because it's what we've been doing, right? I, I want to move on to our, our next source here, um, the Midrash Tanhuma. Um, if somebody would be willing to read that in the English, that would be lovely. Whoever reads it, take the mic and put it through now. Yeah. There are people on Zoom who really want to participate, and they can hear nothing unless you're about an inch away from the mic. במדרש תנחומה ניצבים שלוש אחד רבי אבהו said in the name of Rav Shmuel Bar Nachmani, why does it say those who are standing here and those who are not here without using the word standing? Because all the souls were there, even when their bodies had still not been created, it's still for the, that particular reason. Existence is not start, started here. Stated, thank stated you. here. Oh, stated. Perfect. Stated here. <laughs> um, so this is sort of this beautiful idea that we were all at Sinai, right? This kind of a homiletical solution to say, yeah, we were. We can sign on to it because we were all there. And I know that I, I think it's a really beautiful and poetic idea that I connect to in many ways. Um, and it's a, you know, it's a slight, you know, it's a little bit, um, I mean, it's kind of totally different from the Ibn, Ibn Ezra in a way, right? Um, Ibn Ezra said, like, no, there are going to be distinct people who come after who are not there, right? And they're going to agree to this covenant. And then the Midrash Huma says, no, all of the Neshamot, all the souls were there. So in a way, we all bore witness to this moment. And uh, as a result, you know, we give can give active consent in a way because spiritually we were present. Um, how does that, how does this how does this land with you? How does this sit with you? Any reactions? Well, it suggests the fourth dimension that time oh. is past, present, and future yeah. doesn't really exist, and that all the souls that are coming, you know, it's all part of it. So mm -hmm. it's it's very modern. Yeah, I like I like that. I like that you brought in the fourth dimension, especially just because I 
I love sci-fi. It makes me think of sci-fi, um, even though it's a very real thing. Um, anybody else? Mike, I feel like I feel like you've got an idea brewing. No, 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 no? no? okay. <laughs> Great. So does this feel, I don't know, does it feel, does it feel legit? Does it, feel, how do you, how do you connect to this idea that, that your neshama was there? Does this, does this meaningful to you? Is this kind of like, oh, that's a neat solution. I don't know about that. Are you, are you skeptical? Yeah. Please. I would love, I would love that. Story. Okay. The, um, okay. This is like a mystical experience that I had. Okay. Okay. I was, um, one night, about three months ago, I was just about, you know, I was laying down to go to sleep, and the lights were out, and I closed my eyes, and all of a sudden, I saw these, like, these strange letters Hmm. in my, I I actually saw them. I mean, my eyes were closed, but I I saw them. It wasn't in my imagination. And and then it passed about, after about 30 seconds. Hmm. And I went to sleep, and I woke up the next morning, and I said, you know, I've got to, I, I want to, I'm going to Google this and see if I can find these letters, because they were, you know, strange-looking letters. And you know what I found out? That those, that was, those letters were mosaic hieroglyphics. Interesting. And um, what I read was that, um, that, that original Hebrew, like, uh, was taken from Egyptian hieroglyphics and was a, a phonetic version of it. And very early Mosaic Hebrew looked very close to hieroglyphics. And I saw this, and it was a. They showed the Ten Commandments in these hieroglyphics. And I said, "That's what I saw in my vision." Oh wow! And so that, because that is one of my big questions: mm-hmm. is is there such a thing as a Jewish neshama? Mm-hmm. In other words, when we go to the other side. Are we uh, just, you know, you know, we're, do, are we still Jewish? Right. And so it it made me think that well, maybe my soul was there at Mount Sinai. Right. That's really interesting. There's a couple of things. Uh, sorry, somebody else want to say something? Um, thank you for sharing that. There's a couple of things that you said that I that I want to pick up on there. Um, a, you had this this spirit experience that came over you, right? That that you know it's. It, it happened. You you experience it. And you're like, how do I make sense of this? You know, where our tradition and as a people, we are deeply rational, right? But we're also deeply spiritual, and that's something that can be kind of hard to, to to square with being deeply rational. You know, you have Ibn Ezra. You know, who says, yeah, this means it just that the people weren't there. Like simple, done, we're done, right? That's very rational. And then this next explanation is like, no, our neshamot were there. That's a very spiritual answer. You know, so these two sources are taking two very different approaches to to interpreting the text. And I love um, that you brought up sort of the, uh, you know, the Paleo-Hebrew is what it's called, which was, uh, I believe, it's, you know, connected to Phoenician and to hieroglyphics and other things. Um, that's something I thought of a lot about too, right? Like what the, the, the text that we have, the actual characters are um, a sort of ha- form of like royal high Aramaic, but actual... Paleo Hebrew, which you can actually see today on, uh, say, like coins, like you know, shkalim uh, in Israel. A lot of them have, will have Paleo Hebrew on there. That's sort of like what early texts were written in, and what maybe you know. So it's fun to imagine, like, how was this written? Does that impact like the quality of the agreement? You know, how do we engage with this text on that level? So just a fun, fun thing to think about, which I 
um, appreciate you sort of highlighting and thank you for sharing that that experience. Um, yes. It's quickly achieving that everything we do in Jewish life is mm -hmm. directed towards the past, towards the present, and towards the future. Can you speak guess. into the mic for us, Mike? Oh, thank you. Everything we do in Jewish life is directed toward the past, what's happened in the past, what's happening now, and towards the future. I mean, right. we educate our children. And we, I mean, you know, we yeah. have. That's all. Yeah, yeah, it's that sort of same. Uh, that's interesting. You know, we, we, we commit ourselves each day, three times a day, to you know teaching our children, to teaching the upcoming generations, to continuing to learning ourselves. Right. That is sort of an ongoing part of the breed. Speaking of an ongoing breed, I want to move on to the next text here, which I'm sure a lot of us will also recognize. Um, if someone would be willing to read uh, this short bit right here, that would be lovely. And just again, right into the mic so our folks uh, on Zoom can hear. You talk about we hold these truths? Yeah, right. We hold these truths to be self-evident, <laughs> that all men are created equal. They're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Uh -huh. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, and deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. Wow, that was that was beautiful. I felt like I was about on the steps of the Capitol. Yes. Um, I have a I have a question going back for a second. Okay, sure. Um, up in, <laughs> After that performance, <laughs> no, please. please, please. <laughs> uh, Deuteronomy it talks about that. This it is not the spirits of the coming generations that were there. Mm -hmm. Correct. Yeah, but it doesn't the, explicitly. The, but so, the paragraph after that mm -hmm. says because all the shows. I can't put it. Souls were there. So, is that interpretations, or is there a difference between spirit and soul? Great question. Great question. So the the two verses that we'd have here don't make those ideas explicit, but we have uh, we have our commentator Ibn Ezra who who interprets it. Right? He says, uh, "I think that this simply means that the people weren't physically standing there." And then we have this uh, this fourth century text. You know, the the Midrash Shamhuma, the the provenance of it's not really known um, exactly. But it's a form of homiletical midrash. It sort of adds, essentially does its own interpretive moves, right? Um, so that itself isn't actually distinctly part of the text, but it's an interpretation, right? So, yeah, thank you. Thank you for asking that question. Um, and thank you for that, that incredibly presidential and regal reading of, uh, of the Declaration of Independence. So this itself is a, is a kind of, this is a breach. This is an agreement, right? We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men, you know, that's the language, um, unfortunately, are created equal, that they are endowed by the creator with certain unalienable rights. And among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Um, that's, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. So consent of the governed, I think that's the key word here, right, when we're talking about this this agreement, right? Every day we wake up in the in, in this in United States of America, whether we, whether we were born here, whether we were, our ancestors were forcibly brought here, whether, you know, whether the country was built on top of us, whether we immigrated here, whatever it may be, we're here. And there are certain laws and there are certain uh, statutes that apply to us. Um, and I know that they don't always apply to everyone the same, right? It doesn't always feel fair. You know what I mean? And so how do, how do, how do, how do we react to this is like, when you wake up, you're, you're subject to this, to this law. 
All I can say, all I would say is that a covenant typically is from a sovereign mm -hmm. who, who dictates what it's going to be and what dictates what the, the, the covenant is and what the sanctions are and how it's going to be. Whereas this is political this is a political philosophy. Uh -huh. This is how we're going to set up the government, mm. men between men. It's very different from a covenant. Right. I would say. Yeah. Interesting. In my humble opinion. Yeah. Well, the basic, uh, basic law of the land, the basic law of this land is the Constitution. Mm -hmm. And no matter how many different Congresses or uh, uh, the, um, the Supreme Court they would uh, go over and over, over and over it. The basic rules are what the forefathers, they describe. That's the basic law that every person should at least know that it exists. Mm -hmm. And uh, <laughs> that's why some people want to change the, uh, the basic, whatever the, 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 the judges or the lawyers, they uh -huh. try to changed what the um, what the forefathers have written mm -hmm. look what's happening in israel right. about the uh, supreme court of israel what's going on over there right but basically the the founding fathers they knew what they were talking about but the the, forf the forefathers of this country they went according to the the law in the bible mm -hmm. all these liberties and freedoms they are biblical people. I mean, mm -hmm. they, they took it from the Bible. Right. That's, and I think that's a, a good point to sort of uh, to latch on to because we have this use of the word creator in here, right? Yeah. Um, and also it makes us, you know, the laws here and their, uh, I guess, resultant consequences if we violate them are very serious, right? And it sort of like can put the stakes of you know, our polybrete into a different context, you know, and makes us think about what does this, what does this mean when it's like applied in a directly enforceable way is that even possible how does that manifest in the state of israel for example right like i think these are all there's not these aren't all questions we can answer today but i think it's just really interesting to think about how how do how do the stakes of this change depending on the context and then how do we how do we then react to it do we react to it in a rational way or do we react to it in a spiritual way you know um in the interest of time we're going to just move move forward here uh so uh rabbi elliot dorf who i Okay, great. Who uh, sort of provided me with a lot of the uh, inspiration for this teaching uh, in his in his book for the love of God and people philosophy of Jewish law asks how can Americans, for example, be morally bound by the promises made uh, by the founding fathers and the state legislators that approved the Constitution long ago, especially because the ancestors of most Americans were not even living within its borders at the time. That's like our breed. We weren't there, or maybe we were spiritually there. Who knows? There are at least two answers that philosophers have proposed. And the one that we're going to talk about here harkens to the 17th century uh, thinker Thomas Hobbes, and he argues that if you were still part of a nation uh, um, on the day, uh, sorry for the typo there, on the day that you become an adult, however a nation defies that, defines that, then you have given your tacit consent to all its laws and can be held responsible to obey them. So essentially he's saying, look, if you're still here, you've given your consent, right? Um, in many ways, it's sort of, sort of like we were saying uh, how the breed is, you know, the door of a door that we're we're meant to teach it to our um, our descendants, and and it's, it becomes normative. If you continue to be a part of this tradition, be a part of this people, you give your tacit consent. Um, and uh, if I could just get one, maybe one reaction to that, 
if anybody has a reaction. Yeah. Overall comment. Um, first of all, this, um, you know, consent of the government, it, it's, it's the opposite of totalitarianism. Mm -hmm. Okay, and it's because the king uh, was, you know, Britain was ruling the United States and, and the people who lived in the United States felt like, you know, that was sort of like a totalitarian government. Mm. And I think that um, uh, basically the Constitution is not like uh, the word of God, okay? Mm -hmm. It can be amended, it can be changed, right. it's... Okay, so it's not something in the past, it's mm -hmm. something in the present. And we are continually, every time, you know, we are continually uh, uh, re, it's like re, re uh, agreeing to the Constitution continually, mm -hmm. because it's not a dead document, it's right. a living document. So, so I don't think the issue is that, that the Constitution was made, you know, 200 years ago. And I think the issue is if we don't like it, we should ch legally change it. Right. And I think that you pick up on a really good point, which I'm going to sort of uh, move us to that. We're just running, running out of time, so I'm going to move us to, to the end here. Or, um, okay. <laughs> is an inheritance. Uh -huh. It's an inheritance. You inherited it to use it. Right. You know, it's not like it's a uh, constitution. Mm -hmm. It's given to you. Right, right. And, you know, the Pasha this week was, you know, you either, this is what happens if you don't listen, and mm -hmm. this is what happens if you do, you know. Right, right. And so, um, thank you. Use the word totalitarian and change, right? Our, our tradition also changed. It's, it changes. It's a legal tradition in many ways. The rabbinic project is a legal project. Um, and... So that means that we have a say on how it goes today, right? How things change, how they meet our needs. And there's this idea, you know, in this parsha of Loba Shemaimhi, right? A very famous idea. Like, surely this isn't too baffling. You shouldn't say, what, what is this law that someone should go out and get for me? No, it should be near at hand and I should be able to go get it. I should be able to understand it. And then we get this idea of if you, you know, return, if you return, make tshuva essentially, then God's going to make things all go well with you. So I think that it's an interesting theological idea, um, one with many of its own problems, but as we sort of continue to move through the season of Elul, um, I think that no matter what we decide, what we think uh, the philosophical answer is, the spiritual answer is, it comes down to the fact that we have the ability to have a voice, we have the ability to give <clears throat> consent or not give consent, and we have the ability to really wrestle with that which is what we do so much every day as Jews in our tradition. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.